You're listening to WBH Radio. I'm your host, William Holly. Thanks for joining me on episode number 28. Recording here at the beautiful campus of Brooklyn College. Special shout out to the students here at the radio station. You can check them out at my WBCR. Yo, it's been a while since I've been behind the mic, so you got to bear with me. A few things I want to catch up on. Uh, in October, the NBA season got underway. LeBron James made his Los Angeles Lakers debut. And in his home debut, him and his Lakers squad got in a fight with the Houston Rockets. And this is one of the games I was actually watching in real time. I'm watching. I see Chris Paul put his hand in Rondo's face. And next thing you know, Rondo decides to hook off. I'm like, damn, Chris Paul got brave all of a sudden. Why would he do something like that? We all know Rondo ain't the one to mess with. And then it came out that Chris Paul believed he was spat on. I saw the footage. And do I think he was spat on? Absolutely. But then Rondo came out and said, nah, man, I didn't spit on anybody. And do I believe Rondo? Absolutely. (laughs) I think it was just an unfortunate incident. Some spit digging on Chris Paul. But I want to give Rondo a little bit more credit, man. Rondo is somebody who his history shows that he's he's an authentic tough guy, not make believe, not one just for the gram. So I'm going to give him the credit and say, listen, he understands if you spit on somebody intentionally, man, you you better be ready to kill or die. After 10 plus years in the league, nationally televised game, I don't think he's going to use that place to spit on somebody man that's that's the lowest form of disrespect you know and rondo's explanation was that hey i was exasperated i went to reach for my mouthpiece and maybe something got out but intentionally nah nah because a tough guy knows and he said it he said listen if i intentionally spat on somebody i'm gonna protect myself because i know i'm there's gonna be hell to pay i'm not just gonna stand there with my chin out and when he said that I said, okay, yeah, I I believe him. I believe him. Because I'll tell you a quick story, man. I was in the limo business. And, you know, if if you have a friend who's also a limo driver, he calls you to do a job, you do it. You know, you help your guy out. But the understanding is when you see that driver, he's going to pay you on site. He's not going to say, yo, well, my client didn't pay me yet. No, 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 brother. You called me to do the job. I completed it. So you pay me. Whatever happens with your client, y'all work that out on your own. So I did this guy's job. And then I went, I'm like, yo, man, it's time to collect. And he tried to give me that runaround. I'm thinking to myself, damn, I'm going to have to kill this dude. <laughs> but in all seriousness, like, I'm not going to tell my friend, yo, I, I can't afford to take this out. I need to handle it. So I'm, I'm I'm hunting the dude down. I'm trying to call him. Eventually, I get him on the phone. You know, I'm talking crazy. I'm talking. I'm telling him what I'm gonna do to his mama, his brother, his sister, the cat, the dog. Everybody gonna get it. You know, he tried to tried to bark back. Yeah, listen, man, I ain't no punk. I said even better, because if you aren't a punk, you understand the predicament you put me in. You understand I can't be out here talking about somebody owe me money and him not facing any repercussions. You understand. 
And I'm going to give Rondo that same respect, man. He ain't no punk. He know spitting on somebody intentionally is the lowest form of disrespect ever. So I just think it was an unfortunate event on both ends. And I'm, I'm glad the NBA was able to get past it. Now, on the back end of that fight, and I don't want to sound like the grumpy old man and tell you about my NBA is better than yours. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm in a good mood today. What I will say is my NBA, the NBA I grew up on, it's a bit different. On the back end of that fight, LeBron James swoops in. He doesn't grab Rajon Rondo. He doesn't grab Lance Stevenson or anybody on the Lakers team. He grabs the opposition. He grabs Chris Paul. Not only does he grab him, but he gets him the hell away from the scrum. Now, the sports I grew up on was about competition. It was about me and mine versus you and yours. So in the middle of a scrum, when I see LeBron James grab the opposition, I, I had to scratch my head on that. It was almost as if he swooped in and said, yo, bro, Chris Paul, let's get out of here, man. We, we, we got to protect that state farm bread. I would have loved LeBron James to swoop in and, and grab Brandon Ingram, his teammate. Somebody who's in the third year of his career. Somebody who's looking to make a name for himself in, the, in this league. And he's on national TV throwing haymakers. LeBron, how about you grab him and help him save his career as he's on national TV about to jeopardize his reputation? Right? Because you, you, you land a haymaker and that could mar your career forever. How about you get in there and protect him from himself and be the bro big brother that you claim to be? You got him out there looking crazy, son. The NBA will wash their hands of somebody real quick, talent or not. Ask Gilbert Arenas. So to watch him when his team is in battle, Rajon Rondo's throwing punches, Brandon Ingram's throwing punches, to watch him swoop in and grab Chris Paul... That's a bit different, man. <laughs> That's a bit different than what I know. You know, we could talk about Michael Jordan and him being apolitical and him saying statements like, yo, Republicans buy sneakers too. Uh, the black communities up has said that he, it comes out that he invests in prison. But in between them lines, back when Dennis Rodman was molesting Karl Malone and grabbing his butt cheeks and they were getting in fights, when they got in fights, when Michael Jordan went in that pile, he came out with his teammate. Yo, Dennis, get your ass over here. It's just different, man. That's the league I grew up on, man. A little bit different. Yo, I don't know if you folks are like me, but if you are, Golden State Warriors' dominance has kind of ruined the NBA season for you, hasn't it? I mean... These guys could just continue to put it on, right? It's, it's just a foregone conclusion. They're the best, right? But even with their dominance, you know, I find myself appreciating what they do. Okay? The other day, Steph Curry put in 51 points in three quarters. Now, to me, this is spectacular for a lot of reasons. For one, Steph Curry's a three-time champion, but he still has this 
this desire to keep getting better. And that's not something we always see from today's athlete. Right? It's almost as if in Steph Curry's mind, he's still that kid who couldn't get a Division I scholarship and had to go play at Davidson. Right? He still has that fire inside of him. And to watch him continue to produce, right? It's something spectacular. He won his first NBA championship. What'd he do? He came back and said, you know what? That ain't enough. I'm going to win another one. Not only am I going to win another one, but I'm going to do something that's never been done in league history. I'm going to be the unanimous MVP. Never done. Mike ain't do it. Shaq ain't do it. LeBron ain't do it. So it's an insatiable desire to keep getting better. And it's spectacular to see. He scored 51 points in three quarters against the Washington Wizards. The Washington Wizards got two max players at the guard position. John Wall just signed for 160. Bradley Bill just signed for 130. Steph Curry ain't supposed to look like somebody that's head and shoulders above them, yet he does. And what's so amazing about that is because it's, it's not just talent. Hell, John Wall was drafted number one. Steph Curry wasn't. Bradley Bill was drafted number three. Steph Curry wasn't. Steph Curry was the seventh overall pick in 2009. Bradley Bill played at Florida. John Wall played at Kentucky. <laughs> Steph had to go to Davidson. So the reason I love Steph Curry's career trajectory is because it ain't just about skill, son. He's showing you the skill match with the work ethic and the desire. So I got no problem with, with, with that attitude being the standard in the NBA. You know, especially as I do my best coaching impersonation here at Brooklyn College. Right, you know, I've been working as the assistant basketball coach here with the men's, men's team. And if, if nothing else, I try to impart on the young kids that, yo, it's, it's about the work. Talent ain't enough, son. And to watch Steph Curry continue to climb and fight for new heights is spectacular. And he's not the only person on his squad doing it. After Steph Curry's 51 points... His backcourt mate, Klay Thompson, followed that up a few days later with 52 points and 27 minutes. Again, another spectacular showing, right? And with Klay Thompson, this is a dude who was not even the focal point of the offense. Prior to his 52 points, his season high was only 19. You know how hard it is to stay engaged in a game when you, you're not sure if the ball is coming your way or not? I remember when I played my college career, my four years, the majority of my time, I had the ball in my hand. I knew what opportunities were coming my way from game to game. So it was cool. I was in a comfort zone. And then after college, I would play in this tournament with these guys or that tournament with those guys. And the ball wouldn't come my way the same, with the same frequency. And I'd be like, damn, son, this challenging. You know, I find myself drifting off and not being as in tune. Like, 
it's it's hard to play off the ball, to stay engaged when you're not the number one option, the number two option, the number three option. So for him to be able to do that is is a different kind of focus. One that should be much appreciated. Klay Thompson getting it done, man. Like, and I know the Warriors get a lot of flack because they think they we talk about them being a super team. Maybe Kevin Durant joining them was was a little bit of overkill, but let's take KD out of the equation for a minute because they did capture a championship before he was there. They got a bunch of young pit bulls who work their way up organically, and they're not just relying on that that talent. Again, I just laid out the the draft. John Wall and those guys is number one picks. They making max money too. They should be performing as the standard as the Golden State Warriors, but something's missing. And what I think it is is that work ethic, that desire to continue to be great. Klay Thompson played with Washington State, 11th pick in the draft. So that year they thought there were 10 people better than him. Shit, there may not be 10 people in the league better than him now. That's about getting up every day and continue to Work, not resting on your laurels. Draymond Green, second round pick, 35th pick, came in the league overweight. He said, nah, bump that, son. I'm going to work my way to get to where I need to be. And that boy on pace for a Hall of Fame career. He ain't nearly as talented as half the people he goes up against. And it's just amazing to watch. So I, I got no problem with them being the standard in the NBA. Because at the foundation of what they're doing, I believe, is is a desire to continue to push. And looking at their, their success just makes me makes me look at other athletes and other greats across different sports. And it seems that there is something about that underdog or that athlete who wasn't celebrated throughout their whole career, right? They had to kind of, they faced some trials and some tribulations and some, some rejections, and that kind of instilled this fire that won't flame out. You know, we know the story of Michael Jordan being cut at a high school team. We know the, Michael, the story of Michael Jordan going to North Carolina, having to be behind James Rose, all that stuff. And since then, there was a light inside of him that nobody could squash. To the point where Michael Jordan is in his Hall of Fame career, recognizing the world as the greatest ever, and he's still calling out dudes. He's still fighting to show you he's the best. We could go to football. Peyton Manning was the prodigal son since he was in high school. We've been hearing about him. He was Archie Manning's kid. He played at Tennessee. He was the number one pick. He he had a cool career. But Tom Brady, somebody who had to get it out the mud, who didn't even start in college, who was the sixth pick in the draft. Who excuse me, who was who was drafted in the sixth round? Now he's coming to take everything. He got rings, he got supermodel wife, he's still out there trying to get more. So one of these days, we got to do some psychoanalysis on these great players, man. And, and, and I, there's something to that. 
It's not the kid who's been pat on his back since he was 12. What else I got over here? Oh, real quick. We just talk about Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. I, I was talking to my man, DA. I was like, yo, after Klay Thompson's performance, like, yo, I, I think he might be a better shooter than, than Steph Curry. Who we got in that in that conversation? I'm going to Clay, with Klay Thompson real quick. But first off, the numbers don't lie. The last two years, Klay Thompson shot a better percentage than Steph Curry from three. Klay was at 42. Steph Curry's only at 41. But besides that, Klay Thompson got a quicker release than Steph. He could catch it, let it go real quick. Now, of course, when we talking off the dribble, crossover, spin move, step back between the legs, Steph Curry's the best to ever do it. But if I'm coming down the middle and I'm kicking in one of my shooters in the corner, I want it to be Klay Thompson because he's getting it off quick and it's going down. And you ain't even got to take my word for it. When they went head-to-head in the three-point contest, who won? 2016 three-point champion Klay Thompson. So take that, DA. What else have I been paying attention to in the NBA? Uh, Real quick. Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors are handling business, man. And Kawhi Leonard, somebody, they question whether he would ever return, if he would ever be the same, does he even care to play basketball. Man, I love when people just show up and perform. Kid ain't said a word all season, all summer. But now he in Toronto balling out. When I'm recording this podcast, the Raptors are 6-1. and one. The only game they lost was to the Bucs when Kawhi didn't play. Well, can Kawhi play without Tim Duncan? Yo, quiet all that nonsense. And shout out to the Raptors organization for taking the chance to acquire him. This time last year, they were rolling. They had DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. Had they stayed pat and still kept DeMar and having this success, what would the conversation have been? Oh, we've seen this before. All they're going to do is get bounced out in, in, in the first round. But now you got Kawhi. This is different. Your fan base is energized. Your sponsors are energized. Your ownership is energized. So shout out to them for taking a chance on that boy. I want to shift gears and talk about the NFL real quick. The NFL. So the Cleveland Browns fired their head coach. Yeah, I got no problem with that. The timing is a little funky, but whatever. His record was atrocious. He was 0-16, then he went 1-15, and and now they're struggling this year. Okay? So, okay, I'll give you a pass on it. But what is driving me crazy is the fact that they fired their offensive coordinator. An offensive coordinator that they hired in January of this year. So he hasn't even been on the staff for a calendar year, and you're ready to wash your hands of him. At some point in sports, we have to be able to start firing ownership. Like when these guys buy a team, can we just have it be for a specific term? Like, yo, we'll reevaluate your ownership after seven years. Time after time, it seems to be the same organizations that are making dumb decisions. And these owners 
and these general managers, they come up to the press conference and they say, yeah, man, the offensive coordinator, he just wasn't getting it done. As if they are absolved of all blame. Let me ask you, Mr. Owner, Mr. General Manager, who signed off on that guy getting hired in January? Whoever the hell signed off on it needs to be fired as well. Because they didn't do their due diligence when it came to hiring him. Either they didn't do their due diligence to decide whether or not he was qualified, or they are making a knee-jerk reaction by firing him in this first season. You see, one of my frustrations with sports right now is the overall lack of leadership. Nobody's willing to make tough decisions. Nobody's willing to do unpopular things. And nobody's willing to be accountable. If you come to me and say, yo, I hired somebody in January and now I'm firing them in October, I'm going to look at you and say, hey, that's your fault as well. The NFL is a billion dollar business. You have the resources to do all the research in the world, conduct all the surveys, uh, all the test cases. And I'm going to highlight to you to show you how much of a lack of leadership there is. Todd Haley, who was the offensive coordinator who just got fired within less than a year. This time last year, he was in Pittsburgh. They washed their hands of him, too. So you mean to tell me with all the resources, the best candidate you could come up with is somebody's old recycle offensive coordinator? And it happens time and time again in sports. The new hot candidate is who? Somebody old fired coach. The new hot candidate is the guy that we see sitting on ESPN. All the resources at your disposal and you can't go underground and find us a candidate that nobody knows. Somebody that's in the trenches working. You just hire the most popular guy or the guy who got the most likes on Facebook. That's laziness. The last hiring that I've seen of real consequence was when the Los Angeles Rams hired a 32-year-old coach in Sean McVay. Nobody knew who he was. He wasn't the popular pick. He wasn't sitting on ESPN and we hear him speak every day. Nah, he was underground. That caught a few people off guard like, yo, who the hell is he? And what do you know? The Rams are sitting atop the NFL undefeated. But I'm just tired of everybody passing the blame. Oh, we got to fire this guy. The general manager sat at that press conference. Yeah, man, we just got to go. Dog, you, you need to go as well. The same is going on with the New York Giants. First off, we got the best wide receiver. We got the best running back, Saquon Barkley. And they bring in a coach, Pat Shermer, who used to coach the Browns and has an atrocious record. All the money, all the research firms, all the work we can do to find us a qualified candidate. You give us the Browns old trash? It's sheer laziness. That's one. It's also they're not willing to make tough decisions. They want to hire popular guys. They want to hire guys who, well, he, he, he looks the mold of a coach. And another part to this 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 rearranging and 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 firing of coaches that really pisses me off 
is because a lot of times it happens because organizations succumb to public pressure. And that goes back to what I said about being willing to make unpopular decisions. If 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 you believe in that coach and he's struggling on the front end and, and the fan base is getting antsy, so what? Weather that storm. It takes time to build greatness. Stick with him for a season, two, three. These general managers, they they feel a little heat from the from the media and they get ready to give somebody the axe. That's weak. You know, guys, I've been doing my reading and John Wooden is one of the most legendary coaches in NCAA men's basketball. And it just came across my timeline. Well, not my timeline. I'm wild. Came across my desk. John Wooden has 10 national championships. Yes. It took him 16 years to capture his first title. He started at UCLA in 1948. He didn't get his first championship to 1964. It takes time to lay the groundwork. It takes time to put your system in place. Lucky for UCLA, they were smart enough to stick with him. They didn't let donors get in their air about, yo, man, we, we probably need to get rid of it. No, they, they, they said, no, 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 no. He's working. So with all of these organizations doing this whole little carousel, only allowing guys a year or two, how could you ever build something that's great? And speaking about the lack of leadership, especially in the case of the Browns, and just overall, I told you I was reading a book about the difference between good and great businesses. And one of the qualities is great businesses have a culture of discipline. And when I talk about discipline, I'm not talking about the military stand at attention and and be scared of your supervisor and, and rule with an iron fist. No. Culture of discipline is about having disciplined people, disciplined thought, and disciplined action. Right? So listen, if you are an organization, you got to have a, a, a disciplined thought process. What, what is going to separate us from our competition? What's going to allow us to be successful? And once you identify that, make sure all of your actions are in line with that thought process. It's not about being all over the place. You see, this year, the Cleveland Browns, they sold us on Baker Mayfield. Yo, man, he's the future. This is the guy. Do you know last year the Cleveland Browns drafted a quarterback as well? Deshaun Kaiser? And they were trying to sell us on him being the future also. So one, either you were wrong for drafting Deshaun Kaiser or two, you were wrong for not putting the time in to develop him. Right. The organization doesn't have a disciplined thought pattern. It's like they run it from left to right. Oh, this quarterback is great. That quarterback is great. Oh, matter of fact, let's let's draft Jabril Preppers. He's the best defender. Let's go get Miles Garrett. There is no plan in place. 
It's like they just running from shiny object to shiny object. And that's not what the great teams do. You line that up with the New England Patriots. I was looking at the New England Patriots draft from the last 10, 12 years. 10 out of the last 12 years, the New England Patriots have drafted a defensive player. Now, I can only surmise, but I believe their thought pattern is, hey, we got the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. He's going to help tie up our deficiencies on offense. He's going to help fill those gaps. So it's best to build our defense the best we can. 12 out of the last, I mean, excuse me, 10 out of the last 12 years, it's been a defensive player they drafted. And the two exceptions, they drafted a tackle to protect the quarterback. So that means, you know how many wide receivers they could have drafted? Oh, this one looks good. But no, they had a disciplined thought pattern. We're going to build our defense. And the actions, everything, every action they took stuck with that plan. And the draft, defensive players strictly. They're not running from left to left for shiny option. Ooh, we could get a running back for Brady. Ooh, we could get a wide receiver. No, 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 no. And in the book, they called that the culture of rinsing your cottage cheese. Let me tell you, I got my book right here. Let me see if I can read. Let me see what we got. So there was a world-class athlete named Dave, Dave Scott. He won the Hawaiian Ironman Triathlon six times. You know, in training, he ride his bike 75 miles, he swim 20 meters, he runs 17 miles. He didn't have a weight problem, yet he believed a low-fat, high-carb diet would give him an extra edge. So, when he ate his cottage cheese, he would simply rinse it to get any extra fat off. Was that the difference between winning and losing? Probably not, but that ain't the point of the story. The point of the story is, listen, he believed this was the diet that was going to put him over the top, so all of his actions, no matter how big or small, was geared to accomplishing that plan. We don't see that from organizations. Well, at least not the bad ones. Not ones like the Cleveland Browns. So eventually, we need to start getting these owners out of here. Because this is a problem from the top down. And my last piece on this leadership debacle. Listen, the University of Maryland had a football player that passed away during uh, football workouts. So, of course, the head coach, he's the top of the food chain. He should be culpable. So they did research. They did a background. And the school came back and said, listen, he might have been negligent, but we're going to keep him on board. Okay, unpopular decision, but if you did your due diligence, if that's what you want to do, so be it. One day after they made that decision to keep him on board, they fired him. Why? Because of public outcry. But that ain't the way to run any organization being reactionary. No. If you believe he should have been a coach, keep him. But that's what we got out here running, running the show these days. Weak mofos. You're listening to WBH Radio. I'm your host, William Holly. Thanks for joining me on episode number 28. Uh, I got two stories here for you. Two stories. I want to tie them together. The NBA Development League, which is called the G League, 
is considering offering $125,000 to elite NBA prospects. You know, these are for the kids who don't want to go to school. And during that year between their high school graduating class and when they can enter the draft, they would go to the G League for 125 k Okay. Now, there's another story about a kid, Darius Balzi, who opted not to go to college. And he's going to partake in an internship with New Balance for $1 million. How do we feel about these two? Let's see. Darius Balsey, for one. And Darius Balsey is represented by Rich Paul of Clutch Boards, who is friend and agent to LeBron James. When we talk about from an agent's perspective, that was very creative. Very creative to get him in the New Balance office. New Balance is looking at launching a basketball wing again, reentering the basketball market. Get this young man in there. Put a million dollars on his plate for his family. That is amazing. Kudos to Rich Paul and Clutch Sports. Now, for the young men. He was signed to go to Syracuse. And he said, nah, I don't want to go to college. And he was going to enter the G League. And for whatever reason, he said, nah, I ain't going to the G League. I would ask him, like, what is your goal? Right? I assume his goal is to be the best basketball player he could be and, and, and get that NBA payday and, and go on to be the best human being he can. Well, if if that is the case, me personally, I would still join the NCAA and play college basketball. When you're talking about going to the G League for $125,000, Doug, you're going to make $125,000 and play for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants? No, if my goal, if my end game is to be drafted as high as I can and play in the NBA, I'm going to play on the stage, the brightest stage, which is the NCAA. No, I don't want to play in Fort Wayne or Erie or for the Canton Charge. No, put me at Duke, put me at UCLA, put me at Kentucky, put me on ESPN three nights a week. Put me in that crazy tournament they play in March. You know that March Madness thing? Yeah, put me on that stage so I can show the world who I am. See, my, my whole frustration with the money and the college thing is opportunity is worth more than a dollar amount. $125,000 to get buried in the D, the G League? Uh-uh. I'll pass. Because not only am I playing on the world stage and showcasing my talent, but I'm on college campuses where the leaders of tomorrow are. The opportunity to network. So you get $125,000, but you in freaking Podunk, Idaho. The next legal mind is not coming out of there. They coming out of Stanford Law. The next medical mind is not coming out of freaking the Canton Charge. No, it's coming out of Duke Medicine. So if I was one of these kids, I want to be on those campuses. I want to be in that environment. I want to be raising uh, uh, my profile. Expanding my, my network in those environments. Forget about the paycheck. With Jackie Robinson and Muhammad Ali and them were fighting for sports was a platform, a pedestal. Not the finish line. As with the kid Darius Balsey, okay, you make a million dollars. 
Who you going to play against, bro? These NBA teams need to see you play. So, yeah, you got a million dollars, but you might go in the second round and lose out on that money. So everything comes at a price. So that's kudos to him. Cool, you got a million. But, bro, you need to be playing on the world stage. You might get buried. These scouts can't see you. They're not coming to an open gym to watch you shoot uncontested jump shots. They're going to be in, in Cameron Indoor watching Zion Williamson put on a show for the world as he competes for Duke. So that's been my whole frustration. Whether college athletes should get paid or not, who the freak cares? Opportunity is more valuable than any dollar. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. What else I got here? What else I got? Oh, time checker. We had 38 minutes. All right, we about to, we about to finish up real quick. Uh, da, 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 da. One last thing I want to cover. One last thing I want to cover here. So every now and again, I reach out to different individuals trying to, I guess, sell a podcast, uh, get on different platforms, different radio stations, see if they could, you know, give me a little boost. And when I talk with these individuals, they say, yo, Will, um, tell me, what's the podcast about? I'm like, uh, uh, I'm just a Brooklyn dude talking that shit. Like, I, I don't know. But, but Will, like, who, who's your target audience? Who do you want to listen to it? Um, the homies? I'd be, I, I don't know. You know, they ask me these questions. I eventually get frustrated, give them the middle finger, and say, I'm out. I'm back in the F, y'all. Do what I do. But every now and again, I find myself thinking about those questions. Like, yo, well, what what are we doing here? What What is it that you're trying to relay and discuss and talk about? And when I think about some of the things that I, co- that I cover that interest me, I realize what I'm really trying to show is that you can be a winner. You could get the job done no matter what your circumstances are. Because you know what? I don't know much in this life. But if I did have to poke my chest out and say I do know one thing, it would be survival. It would be winning. It would be getting results. Yeah, I'm, I'm a toot that horn. I'm gonna pat my back. I'm gonna pat myself on the back when it comes to that. You know what I'm saying? We we could run through my resume wherever you want, whether it's surviving the inner cities of Brooklyn, surviving Iraq when the people who wore the same and the same uniform as me were the enemy, uh, celebrating college championships. Freaking, my mama was pregnant at 16. My daddy at XCOM. My stepdaddy's a coke fiend. Freaking being out on the road in the motorcycles. Watching dudes perish right next to me But somehow I'm able to make it home I know about getting it done And This next story is about somebody I think really got it done And that is the running back for the Philadelphia Eagles His name is Jay Ajayi And on October 7th He tore his ACL Out for the year and this is a big year for him because he was going into, he was going to be a free agent this offseason. So now he's at home with a torn ACL and and no money to come. 
But we learned that he invested in what is called a loss of value insurance policy. So that is to protect him against a scenario like this, an injury like this. And how it works is before the season, him and the insurance company sat down and they 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 mapped out his value. They said, we know you're coming up on, on a free agency. We have you valued at a significant free agent. Right. So let's let's make up some numbers. They say, hey, when you become a free agent, you might get. Four years at 16 million. So the insurance company and the Jai agree on that. And where the insurance policy comes in is. If you get injured and your stock lowers. Right. Teams don't want to give you as much money because you're injured. The insurance policy will cover the discrepancy up to five million dollars so let's say a healthier Jai was worth four years at 16 but now that he's injured he's only worth four years at 11 the insurance policy is going to cover that five million gap so he's not going to lose any money and i was thoroughly impressed by this maneuver by jay ajayi and his businessman josh sanchez because this world ain't fair. But still in all, you have an opportunity to control your destiny, to affect your life. He could have easily sat by and said, man, these owners, they unfair, this, that. And he would have been right. But he said, bump being right. I, I need results. I need to feed my family. I'm not leaving anything up to chance. And keep in mind, Jay Ajayi is coming off of a Super Bowl year. The Philadelphia Eagles won a Super Bowl last year. Man, we know how football players spend the offseason, especially after the Super Bowl. He could have been on vacation here. He could have been there, drunk, in the strip club. But during that time, while he's celebrating at the, the heights of his life, he still had the, the, the maturity to understand, hey, I need to protect myself and my family. So at some point during this offseason, he sat down with his business manager and insurance company and said, yo, I need to protect myself. And this past season, JGI made $1.9 million. Insurance policies like that cost 100 grand. That ain't cheap. He invested in himself. So when I, I stacked that up against what happened to Earl Thomas... Earl Thomas was in the same scenario, right? He's getting ready to go into a, 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 a contract year. He's frustrated with the organization because they don't want to give him any more money. He's mad. He's pouting. He's missing practice. He's like, dang, y'all, I outplayed my contract, please. And the Seattle Seahawks is like, yo, we still got you on the contract for one year. We don't have to give They're at a stalemate. And the worst case scenario happened. Earl Thomas goes out there and breaks his leg. So he, too, is going into the offseason with a broken leg and without a contract. And he was so frustrated when he broke his leg, he got carted off. He raised the middle finger to his organization, literally, in front of the world to see, in front of the kids, in front of his fans, in front of everybody, middle finger up. Earl Thomas, who has been a stellar player, Somebody has done a lot of great work in the community. Now that's what they're talking about, his middle finger. Instead of how great a man he's been and a greater player. That, now that's the story on him. 
and it's unfortunate. But Jay Ajayi is showing you that, hey, <laughs> you had a chance to affect your career. Now, Earl Thomas will tell you, yo, it's not fair. These owners don't want to pay us. These owners don't want to look out for the players. We're, we're like indentured servants. And you know what, Earl? You're right. You're absolutely right. But I will ask you, do you want to be right? Or do you want to get results? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to have the ability to put food on your family's table? And that's all I'm trying to show you here at this podcast. Like, yo, listen, I know it's tough outside. I know it ain't easy. But at some point, we can still do a little more to control our outcomes. We don't have to just succumb to the circumstances. And I think that message is so important because if you're a little kid and you turn on the news, you're going to think the world coming to an end. You're going to sit there and say, dang, so I ain't got no shot. So when you believe you ain't got no shot, it makes it easier to put that ski mask on, stick up the corner store. If you're a little girl who believe you ain't got no shot, it make it easier for you to get pregnant at 16. I mean, I ain't got no future. What's what's? Why hold off? But Nah, we got to be careful of that message, man. We got to show folks how to move in a room full of vultures. Despite any circumstances that may be out there. That's all I got. My man Fenton was supposed to be in the booth with me today, but he's on some island vacation somewhere. I mean, Fenton, 40 years old, still talking about his, his birthday weekend. Dog, we gave up birthdays back when we was nine years old having the Ninja Turtle parties, man. Give it up. But shout out to my man living his life. Happy birthday to my G. Uh, happy birthday to my youngest niece, Bria Marie Franklin. She will be nine years old on November 4th. Try to get better the next time. It's your boy, William Holly. We out.